This morning, I will be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. And Paul, and his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Good morning and welcome again. It may be a little inconvenient, but we're glad that you're here. We have a full house, and for that, we're very grateful. It's always good to have visitors, and to think that we're in another location, but have those visiting with us, we're, we're very grateful for that. I was thinking just a moment ago about the site that we're presently visiting, and uh, it occurred to me, how many congregations do you know of that offer room service and a continental breakfast? <laughs> well, we've got both. But we are glad that you're here. We're going to be looking today at Acts chapter 17. I think there is a handout that's being passed out. And the purpose of that is, if you want to take notes, you can do that. We're going to be talking today about turning the world upside down for Christ. And when you look around and you reflect upon the changes that have occurred in our society, even in our world at large, you'll see that there is a need for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to turn the world right side up, because obviously the world is headed in the wrong direction. And in looking at Acts chapter 17, we find that the efforts of Paul and Silas were directed toward that means, and that is they sought to ultimately turn the world right side up. And so we're going to be talking today about turning the world upside down for Christ. The first thing that I want to call your attention to as we consider this particular theme is the fact that they had a message that burned in their heart. And particularly, or more specifically, the Apostle Paul had a message that burned in his heart. And I think about his immense love for the Lord. And you know, if you really love something, then that becomes a passion. It becomes something that, that you obviously contemplate or think about on a regular basis. And I believe when you begin to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you see somebody who was consumed, who was intoxicated, if you please, for the cause of Christ. And as I think about the life of Paul, and I, as I consider the fact that he had a message that burned in his heart, I'm reminded of the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the long ago. In Jeremiah chapter 20 at verse 9, he said, as you recall, that if he decided, that is, if he came to the conclusion he was no longer going to speak in his name, that is, in the name of God, he wasn't going to say anything else about the Lord, he said, then his word became in my heart like a burning fire. And he said, I was weary with withholding it in and could not. And then also I think about men like Peter and John who said in the long ago, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now to me, that implies that they had a message that 
burn deeply in their hearts. And I guess the question today, what about us? When we think about the gospel message, does it truly burn within our hearts? Do we have that zealous desire to share it with others? Well, let's look at the life of Paul. First of all, I think about the custom of Paul, and this has to do with his fervency. Note, if you would, in verse 1, we find Paul making his way down to the city of Thessalonica. And the Bible says, in Thessalonica, there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, note, if you would, verse 2. Luke said, then Paul, as his custom was. In other words, what, what Luke is saying here is that this is something that Paul regularly did. This was habitual to him. Well, what was it that Paul regularly did? Well, he looked for opportunities, opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then also, note if you would, the conviction of Paul. And this has to do with his faith. Notice, notice what Luke says about Paul in verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now you want to talk about somebody who was deeply convicted about the Christ. That man was Paul. Paul believed with all of his heart that Jesus Christ was the anointed one. That is, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one of whom the prophets foretold of centuries earlier. And as a result of that, note first of all the hazards that he faced. Now in Thessalonica we'll find that Many of the Jews who were unbelieving, the Bible says they became envious in verse 5, and they took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and they gathered a mob together, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, and thus they cried out, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. This was something that Paul faced on a regular basis. You can go back and read in Acts chapter 15 of Paul and Barnabas. And we think about their missionary endeavors together. And the leaders from the city of Jerusalem said of these men of the long ago that they had risked their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. I think about people who literally laid it all on the line for the cause of Christ. What about us today? Are we willing to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ? Do we believe that deeply in the Son of God? Do we have that kind of conviction, that kind of faith? Well, if we have a message that truly burns within our hearts, then ultimately we'll be willing to suffer hazard. We'll be willing to risk our lives for the cause of Christ. And then also I think about the hope that he fostered. Now, when Paul went from city to city, and you can go back and read, of, for example, of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 at verse 8, when he told the apostles that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then to Samaria, and then he said, to the uttermost part of the earth. And what Jesus was saying in the long ago was simply this, that the message, this God-ordained message, would ultimately reached the four corners of the earth. And Paul could say in Colossians chapter 1 
that the message that he preached reached the then known world. He said we had preached the gospel to every creature under heaven. Well, when Paul went from city to city, from place to place, from person to person, guess what he did? He offered hope to the human family. Now let me tell you, there are a lot of people in our world today, there are a lot of people in this community, in this city, in this world, they don't have hope. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask them, are you happy with your life as it is? I suspect that the answer would probably be no. Many of us this past week, we read in the news and we've seen on television about the death of Michael Jackson. And there are probably a lot of things that could be said about his death, but one of the things that strikes me, and this is just an observation, and it's just my personal opinion, but when I look at his life and, and some of the stories that are coming out, the thing that strikes me is here's an individual that from one vantage point may have had it all. And here's a guy that sold 750 million albums. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around that. And yet, by all accounts, I would say he was miserable. I don't think he was a happy person. There are a lot of people like that. Well, they may have a lot by way of this world's goods. They may have materialism, and they may have fame, and they may have fortune and all of that. But they're not happy. And what we have as the people of God is what Paul had, and that is the gospel of Christ. And we have the opportunity to share that message with others. Go back and read in Acts chapter 16 of Paul and Silas in Philippi. And there you'll read about Paul and Silas having many stripes laid upon their backs. And the Bible says that their feet were fastened in stocks. And yet here are these men facing very difficult times. And you know what the Bible says about them in Acts 16 verse 25? At midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. Now listen, the outside world about them may have been crumbling down. Their world, their lives may have been threatened, but there was a sense of peace that they enjoyed unlike so many others in their day and time. And in Acts chapter 16, we read about that earthquake that occurred and their stocks were loosened, the prison doors opened, and the jailer cried out, to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And you know what Paul did? The Bible says he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then he spoke, or they spoke, the word of the Lord to them. And then that man and his household were, were baptized into Christ. Now you want to talk about hope, hope to lost humanity. That's the kind of hope that Paul shared to a lost and dying world. And I'm reminded of what I'm reminded of what, uh, what is said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writing to the saints in Ephesus. And Paul said in the long ago that those who are outside of Christ, they are without hope and without God in this world. But then in verse 13 he said, but those who are in Christ, he said those who are far off have been made near, brought near, made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's the hope. All right, secondly, think with me if you would about these men, Paul in particular, had a message that begged to be heard. There was a sense of loyalty to the lost. What about us today? 
do we feel an indebtedness to reach out to those who are lost and dying in this world? I mean, do you feel like there are others in the world about you, in this community, or maybe somewhere in this country that you could have an impact on for the cause of Christ? Look at two things about Paul and Silas, or Paul in particular. Number one, Paul targeted the lost. Note, if you would, again, in verse 1, the Bible says, what did Paul do? As soon as he arrived in Thessalonica, he sought out a synagogue of the Jews. He was looking for an audience. And so in verse 2, the Bible says, Then as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now that tells me that Paul was looking for an opportunity. How many of us are targeting the laws? Now, it'd be hard to say we don't know anybody that's lost, wouldn't it? I mean, just look around in this community. There are a lot of people in this community that need the gospel of Christ. There are people on the job. That is, people. there are people that you work with that need the gospel. You could target one or more, one or more people that you work with to study the gospel with. You could target somebody that maybe you go to school with. You could target somebody that maybe is in your neighborhood, a friend, an acquaintance. You could target somebody at the grocery. You could target somebody at one of the department stores here in town. You could target a friend, a family member, whomever. But the point is simply this. Find, identify a target. That's what Paul, Paul was looking for somebody to share the gospel to, or rather share the gospel with. In Philippians chapter 1, we read of the Apostle Paul in chains for the cause of Christ. And really what, what is meant there is he was chained to a Roman guard. What do you think Paul talked about while chained to that Roman guard? I can tell you what he talked about. I'll bet you he talked about the Son of God. And every time that guard changed, guess what? Another opportunity another target to reach out. And so not only did he target the lost, but he taught the lost. It's not enough to just identify the lost. We've got to identify them, and then we've got to share this message. Now it goes back to our first, our first point. These people, these men, had a message that burned in their heart. What about us? Does that message burn so deeply that we desire to share it with others, to teach others about it? I think about people that have good things happen to them from time to time. You know, something exciting will happen. Take, for example, the Rays. Right now they're, they're anticipating the birth of a grandbaby or a baby girl. I'm not a betting person, but I would say this. They're going to be telling a lot of people about the birth of that baby. They're going to be sharing that news far and wide. Why? Because it's, a, it's good news. Guess what? The gospel is good news. That's really what it is. It's good news. And so you and I, we have the opportunity to teach people. We target them. We identify them. We find somebody 
that we want to teach, and then we sit down and teach them the truth of Almighty God. What was it Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19? Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that not what we're called upon to do? I believe that they had a message that begged to be heard. Now, sometimes we write people off. And sadly, sometimes we just assume that people don't want to hear what we have to say. How do we know that? We don't know that. Can you imagine a corporation that's devising a product to sell in the marketplace, and before they ever get to market, they just say, well, nobody's going to be interested in it. Or this group of people won't be interested in it. Now, I understand that you target certain markets, etc. But sometimes we assume the worst. Sometimes we don't even give the gospel a chance to do its work. When the gospel falls on honest and good hearts, you know what the Bible says? It'll yield fruit. I believe that. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that God's word will not return to him void. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. If we'll do our part, I have enough trust in God to believe that he'll do his part. All right, number three. They had a message that beckoned its hearers. And the idea here is they sought to lure listeners. Well, we have to have an audience. We understand that. There has to be focus in our message. And we look at the life of Paul, and there was focus in his preaching. Go back again and look at verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What was the basis of the message that he spoke? It was the Word of God. What message do I have the right, the God-given authority, to teach or to preach? It's the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, Preach the Word. When those disciples were scattered abroad, as told by Luke in Acts chapter 8, they went everywhere preaching the Word. When you look at the focal point of, of Paul's preaching endeavors, it was the Christ. Note if you would verse 3 explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Sometimes I listen to guys preach, and, I, and, and the thing that comes to mind is, this message isn't about Christ. It's not about the word of God. It's about something else. It may be about them. It may be about their supposed ministry. It may be about money. It's about any and everything but the Christ, about, but about the Word of God. And so when you look at, at Paul, you see an individual, and Silas as well, you see individuals who had focus. They focused on the Christ in their preaching endeavors. But there's a second thing that we learn. Note, if you would, the fruitfulness of his preaching. I said just a moment ago that 
God's word will not return to him void. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. So look at verse 4. In verse 4, the Bible says, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Well, what happened? As a result of their endeavors, people believed and obeyed the gospel. You can go over and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at verse 13. And Paul praises these people because he said, when you received the word, he said, you did not receive it as the word of men, but you received it as it is in truth, the word of God. They were receptive to the truth of Almighty God. And so in chapter 1 at verse 9, Here's what Paul said about those people living in Thessalonica. He said they turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, who delivers us from wrath to come. Here were people, some of these people were steeped in pagan idolatry. And Paul is saying, listen, you were receptive to this message. And based on your receptivity to the word of Almighty God, you obeyed it. And you became New Testament Christians. Now, what's the message for us? If we'll take the same message that they preached, that they taught in the long ago, and we'll spread that message abroad, guess what? We'll see people obey the gospel. We'll see people turn to the living and true God, just like they did in Thessalonica. The fruitfulness of his preaching. Note if you would now, verse 6 again. Well, look at verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Here's what stands out in my mind. The people in Thessalonica, the rulers of the city, they had heard about what was going on by those who were members of the church of Christ. They knew about these men. They knew about their labors. And they knew that they were out turning the world upside down. They knew that wherever they went, good things were happening. And they said, these men that have turned the world upside down, they've come here now. Now here's the question. Are you and I going to do what they did nearly 2,000 years ago? And that is turn the world upside down for Christ. We have the opportunity to turn the world right side up. The world is headed in the wrong direction. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize that. Just, you just look at, at the climate of our society, and you'll see chaos. You'll see immorality. You'll see hopelessness. You'll see all kinds of, of disasters and difficulties and trials and tribulations that people are facing in life. And what they need is the gospel. And you and I, we have the opportunity to take this message 
and literally set the world right side up. That is, turn it from going in the wrong direction to going in the right direction. Here's the question. Would you be willing to stand with me? Would you be willing to stand with the elders? to stand with the deacons, to stand with the church at Olive Branch and make a difference in this community. We can do it. I know we can do it. We've got good people. We've got tremendous resources. We've got talents and abilities. And above all, we have the Word of God and we have the Lord on our side. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what we need to do is get up and go. We just need to do it. It might be that you're here today, maybe you're not a Christian, but maybe you realize that without Christ, you're lost. I hope you understand that you need the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me in John 14, verse 6. What would you need to do? First of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Jesus himself said in John 8, verse 24. Except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. The Bible says then you need to repent. Turn from a life of sinfulness. Give it up. Jesus said, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. On Pentecost Day, Peter said, repent. Then you need to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did as recorded by Luke in Acts 8, 37. Then the Bible says you need to be immersed, baptized into Christ for the remission, the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. When you do that, the Lord will then add you to his body, the church. You'll belong to the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And if you'll live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you've gone back into the world. Maybe the, the world has lured you out of where you ought to be. And so instead of standing with the Lord and his people, you're now back in the world. Well, what would you need to do? James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.